Let's take your Bibles and let's turn together there, a riddle and a parable to the house of Israel. Ezekiel 17. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, pose a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel, and say, Thus says the Lord God. A great eagle with large wings and long pinions full of feathers of various colors came to Lebanon and took from the cedar the highest branch. He cropped off its topmost young twig and carried it to a land of trade. He set it in a city of merchants. Then he took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile field. He placed it by abundant waters and set it like a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. Its branches turned toward him, but its roots were under it. So it became a vine, brought forth branches, and put forth shoots. But there was another great eagle with large wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine bent its roots toward him and stretched its branches toward him from the garden terrace where it had been planted, that he might water it. It was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth, bran to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. Say, thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, Indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. And he took the king's offspring, made a covenant with him, and put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up but that by keeping his covenant it might stand. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt, that they might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord God, Surely in the place where the king dwells who made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company do anything in the war when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall to cut off many persons, since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant and in fact gave his hand and still did all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely my oath which he despised and my covenant which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. 
I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and try him there for the treason he committed against me. All his fugitives with all his troops shall fall by the sword, and those who remain shall be scattered to every wind, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and will plant it on a high and prominent mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree, and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. When you read the Gospels, you cannot help but notice the numerous times in which our Lord taught in parables. The parable of the sower, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the rich fool, the great banquet, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the ten virgins, the talents, the workers in the vineyard, and so on. The Gospels record parables of the kingdom, parables of salvation, parables of wisdom and folly, parables of the Christian life, as well as parables of judgment. But congregation, Jesus was not the first to make use of parables for teaching. When he spoke in parables, he was adopting a method that had already been in use many years earlier in the Old Testament. For example, in Judges 9, Jotham proclaimed the parable of the trees who went forth to anoint a king over them. In 2 Kings 14, King Jehoash spoke a parable of the thistle and the cedar of Lebanon. In Isaiah 5, the prophet proclaimed the parable of the vineyard. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan exposed David's sin by means of a parable. In Hosea 12, the Lord said, I have given parables through the witness of the prophets. I have given parables through the witness of the prophets. The prophets were sometimes called upon to present a parable as a means of communicating God's message to his people. Still today, metaphors, parables, and allegories can be helpful tools of communication. Well, that is what we find here in the 17th chapter of Ezekiel. We read in the first verse that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel saying, go to verse 2, Son of man, pose a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Ezekiel, who was living by the river Chebar in Babylon, was called to deliver a parable to God's people, a parable which was at the same time something of a puzzle or a riddle. 
Today I want us to consider the story or the allegory in verses 1 through 10, the explanation in verses 11 to 21, and then the good news, the gospel, which we find in verses 22 through 24. First, the story. The message that the Lord gave Ezekiel in the first 10 verses is one in which animals and plants were used to represent various nations. In verse 3, Ezekiel spoke of a huge eagle with a wide wingspan and colorful feathers, a beautiful and powerful eagle. Flying over Lebanon, the eagle broke off the highest branch of a cedar tree and then flew eastward carrying the branch in its beak. When the eagle reached the land of trade, verse 4, he planted the branch in the city of merchants. Having planted the branch, he returned to the place from which he had taken the branch, and there he planted a vine seed beside an abundant supply of water. According to verse 6, the seed grew and became a spreading vine. The branches and shoots of the vine turned toward the eagle who planted it, drawn toward the eagle. But then, in verse 7, another eagle enters the picture, another great eagle with large wings and many feathers. The vine that was attracted to the first eagle now bent its roots toward the second eagle. According to verse 7b, the vine bent its roots toward him and stretched its branches toward him from the garden terrace where it had been planted. The vine had been planted in good soil by many waters, verse 8, so that it might bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. But now, instead of turning toward the first eagle that planted it, the vine turned toward the second eagle. Because the vine turned toward the second eagle, what did the Lord say? Look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Verse 10, behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. The first eagle is going to pull up the vine, pull up its roots. He will cause the vine which he planted to utterly wither. The first great eagle will leave the vine dry and barren, without leaves, without fruit, without life. That's the parable of the eagles, the cedar, and the vine. So, secondly, What's the meaning of the story? What's it all about? What do the eagles, the cedar branch, and the vine symbolize? What was the Lord saying to his people? In verses 11 to 21, we find the explanation. The explanation. The great eagle with large wings and colorful feathers is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Follow along with me, please, at verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, Indeed, the king of Babylon went to Jerusalem and took its king and princes and led them with him to Babylon. You see, the great and powerful eagle is Nebuchadnezzar. The cedar branch that the eagle broke from the top of the tree and brought eastward to the city of merchants is the king of Jerusalem. The cedar branch represents the descendant of David who ruled in Jerusalem. The specific king referred to here is King Jehoiachin, the second last king of Judah. In the year 597, after Jehoiachin was only three months on the throne, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies besieged Jerusalem and Jehoiachin surrendered. He was made a prisoner and led off to Babylon. It was during this deportation of 597 that Ezekiel himself was also led away into captivity. The account of Jehoiachin's defeat can be found in 2 Kings 24. When he was only 18 years old, Jehoiachin became king after his father's death. When Nebuchadnezzar came up to Jerusalem, Jehoiachin knew that he didn't have a chance. Along with his mother, servants, princes, and officers, he went out to the king of Babylon, and they were all taken as prisoners. All the captains and all the mighty men of valor were brought to Babylon. Brothers and sisters, Jehoiachin and his princes are the cedar branch spoken of here in this parable. Jehoiachin was the highest branch of the tree. The eagle, Nebuchadnezzar, broke it off and carried it to the land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. The land of trade and the city of merchants, mentioned in verse 4, is the city of Babylon, the center of commerce and wealth. The branch of cedar was planted in Babylon by the great and powerful eagle. Then, as we continue in this parable and its explanation, we see that the vine seed which the eagle planted in a fertile field, verse 5, is... Zedekiah, the king whom Nebuchadnezzar appointed in Jerusalem to rule in the place of Jehoiachin. After Jehoiachin was carried to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jehoiachin's uncle, the third son of Josiah, as king in Jerusalem. His name was Mataniah, but Nebuchadnezzar changed it to Zedekiah. The change in name symbolized the fact that he was a vassal under Nebuchadnezzar, a puppet king, a puppet king. Nebuchadnezzar had authority over him. In verse 6, the seed that grew and became a spreading vine is this king Zedekiah. The branches of the vine turned toward the eagle represent Zedekiah's submission to Babylon. For 11 years, he submitted to Babylonian policies. And Jerusalem lived in peace. As long as the vine was turned toward the eagle, all was well. According to verse 5, the vine had fertile soil and abundant water supply, favorable conditions for maximal growth. As long as Zedekiah turned toward Nebuchadnezzar and remained submissive, there was rest. 
nothing to fear. Although it remained low in stature, verse 6, the vine spread out and brought forth branches and shoots. Nebuchadnezzar made a covenant with Zedekiah. Go to verse 13. Verse 13. And Nebuchadnezzar took the king's offspring, Zedekiah, made a covenant with him, and put him under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant it might stand. See, as long as Zedekiah kept the covenant with Nebuchadnezzar and remained faithful to his oath, Jerusalem would stand. It would remain low in stature, but it would continue in peace. But then, as we keep reading this parable, we see that another great eagle comes into the picture. Another eagle with large wings and many feathers. And according to verse 7, what did the vine do? It bent its roots toward this second eagle. What does this second eagle represent? It represents Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. It represents Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. Go to verse 15. But he, Zedekiah, rebelled against him, Nebuchadnezzar, by sending his ambassadors to Egypt that they might give him horses and many people, a large army. The vine turning its branches toward the second eagle is King Zedekiah turning his attention to Egypt. He sent messengers there seeking an alliance so as to rebel against Babylon. He hoped that Egypt would give him horses and armies. He suspected, he, he suspected that with the assistance of Egypt, Judah would be able to break loose from the yoke of Babylon. Since the Egyptians and Babylonians were fierce enemies, Zedekiah assumed that Egypt would be an eager ally. Therefore the vine, Zedekiah, stretched out his branches toward the second eagle. He broke the covenant with Babylon, broke the oath, and looked to Egypt for help. Now, congregation, when Zedekiah turned to Egypt, no doubt there were many people, both in Jerusalem and in exile in Babylon, who were encouraged. They viewed Zedekiah's Egyptian pol policy as a very positive step. They thought that with Pharaoh on their side, they could be liberated from the power of Babylon. Freedom! Freedom! When Zedekiah turned to Pharaoh, no doubt there were many who were excited and supportive, but their excitement and optimism were seriously misplaced. Look again at verse 9. Thus says the Lord God, will it thrive? Will he not pull up its roots, cut off its fruit, and leave it to wither? All of its spring leaves will wither, and no great power or many people will be needed to pluck it up by its roots. Verse 10, behold, it is planted. Will it thrive? Will it not utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It will wither in the garden terrace where it grew. These words express the fact that there was no hope for Jerusalem and for Zedekiah in Egypt. It was 
totally foolish to seek deliverance at a pro-Egyptian policy. More than that, it was suicidal. It was suicidal. In verses 16 and 17, the Lord said that Zedekiah, who broke his oath and his covenant with Babylon, would die in the midst of Babylon. Pharaoh and his mighty army would do nothing when Babylon would come to Jerusalem to besiege the city. The first great eagle, Nebuchadnezzar, would pull up the vine, Zedekiah, and the vine would utterly wither. Brothers and sisters, as Ezekiel brought this message to the captives by the river Chebar, Zedekiah was still on the throne in Jerusalem. It was another four or five years before the words of this parable would be fulfilled. Four or five years after Ezekiel delivered this message, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, defeated the city, captured Zedekiah, executed his sons before his eyes, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. The vine was pulled up. The roots yanked from the ground and its leaves withered. Zedekiah had his eyes gouged out, Jeremiah 52, 11, and they put him in prison in Babylon till the day of his death. The words of Ezekiel's parable were precisely fulfilled. Now, people of God, as we consider this parable to the house of Israel, we need to bear in mind that this is more than just a history lesson. God has given us these portions of Scripture not merely to increase our knowledge of history, but also to warn us that those who reject the one true God will come under His curse. Whenever His people dismiss His word, ignore His gospel, and violate His covenant, they will come under His withering curse. The cedar branch... Jehoiachin and his princes was carried away to Babylon because of their sin, their covenant-breaking ways. 2 Kings 24 verse 9 says that Jehoiachin did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Likewise, the vine, Zedekiah, was uprooted and brought to Babylon. Why? Because of his spiritual rebellion. 2 Kings 24, 19 says that Zedekiah also did evil in the sight of the Lord. One of the sins of Zedekiah is mentioned right here in our text. The vine stretched its branches toward the second eagle. Zedekiah looked for assistance from Egypt. Looking to Egypt was not just a political decision, it was also a moral and spiritual decision. When King Zedekiah turned to Egypt and requested military assistance and horses, he was doing that which was expressly for, for forbidden in the law of God, expressly contradicted in the law of God. In Deuteronomy 17, when the covenant was renewed on the plains of Moab prior to Moses' death, what did the Lord say to Israel? When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and dwell in it and say, 
I will set a king over me. He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. By sending ambassadors to Egypt, Zedekiah was clearly transgressing God's covenant. The prophet Jeremiah had warned him that Egypt would be of no help, but Zedekiah wouldn't listen, Jeremiah 37. Having turned away from the Lord, he put his trust in horses and chariots. He should have heeded the words of David in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Or Psalm 33, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. In Psalm 147, the Lord does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Zedekiah placed his confidence in the wrong things. Not only did he trust in horses and chariots, but he also trusted in the very nation that held Israel in slavery for 400 years. Egypt was the house of bondage. It was the place where the Israelites groaned under heavy taskmasters, where their backs became bruised and bloody. Egypt was a symbol of oppression and slavery, yet Zedekiah looked for salvation at the house of slavery. Instead of crying out to God, and believing his word, he ignored the prophet Jeremiah and put his hope in Egypt, the very nation whose army, horses, and chariots had perished in the Red Sea at the Exodus. Congregation, when the church no longer lives in dependence on God, when we place our confidence in an arm of flesh, when we look for security and hope in the world and the things of the world, when we put our trust in our careers, our wise financial planning, our investments, or when we put our hope in more responsible politicians, then, like Zedekiah, we can only expect confusion and pain. If you choose to ignore the word and instead live your life as the world does, should it surprise you when your life resembles a train wreck? If you disregard God's law and live by your own supposed wisdom, then don't be shocked when your life begins to unravel and you experience pain and confusion. If you're not fully devoted to the Lord and his gracious provision for your salvation, and if you have little concern for his glory, then you cannot expect his approving smile to rest upon you. Joachim was a covenant breaker. Zedekiah was a covenant breaker. Therefore, God was against them. 
You see, the real threat to Jerusalem was not Babylon. It was not Babylon. It was not Nebuchadnezzar, the great eagle from the east. The real threat, brothers and sisters, was Almighty God. Follow along with me at verses 19 to 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath which he despised and my covenant which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. Verse 20, I will spread my net over him and he shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and try him there for the treason which he committed against me. Verse 21, all his fugitives with all his troops shall fall by the sword. And those who remain shall be scattered to every wind, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken. It was not merely Babylon that was against Jerusalem. It was the Lord. He was against his own people, his own city, because they had forsaken him, neglected his saving power, despised his covenant, and, and trusted in Egypt, disaster would come from the hands of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that God is righteous and holy. When his people do not love, obey, trust, honor, worship, and take pleasure in him, then he turns against us. Yes, the misery experienced by Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, and Jerusalem was from the hands of God. And yet, congregation, when we come to the end of this chapter, we see that the Lord does not leave his people without hope. There is good news, which is point number three, good news. Despite all their ignorance, negligence, stubbornness, and rebellion, this chapter reveals God's amazing grace. In the final verses, we find the promise of the gospel, the promise of salvation, peace, and security through what? A greater king. This chapter does not leave us in despair, but rather it directs our attention to the one who is all sufficient. It is this that I would ask you to really ponder this afternoon. I want you to see that God has provided a way for you to escape his curse, a way for you to be reconciled to him. Verses 22 through 24 contain the good news. There is a way for sinners to be delivered. Hope for covenant breakers. In verse 22, the Lord speaks of another branch. A branch which he will plant on a high and prominent lofty mountain. It is a branch that grows into a majestic cedar under which every kind of bird finds refuge. What is this branch spoken of in verses 22 through 24? It is not Jehoiachin, for he died in Babylon. It's not Zedekiah, for he's the vine that withered in Babylon. What then is this branch that grows into a majestic cedar? 
In keeping with the symbolism of this parable, the cedar branch of verse 22 must be someone from the royal line of David, a descendant of David. Who is the descendant of David that becomes a majestic cedar under whose branches the birds find refuge and shelter? Congregation, this can be none other than a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the branch is used as a symbol of the Messiah. We read in Isaiah 4, verse 2, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Jeremiah 33, 15, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. And Zechariah 6.12, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch. The branch is a description of the Messiah. Through the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord was predicting the coming of the great son of David, David's son and David's Lord, Jesus Christ. Please follow along at verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, I will take also one of the highest branches of the high cedar and set it out. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one and will plant it on a high and prominent or lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, and it will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. God enabled Ezekiel to prophesy of the day when a righteous king would be raised up. The Davidic monarchy was not at a dead end. Yes, Jehoiachin was a failure. Zedekiah was a failure. Past Davidic kings were failures. But the coming king from the house of David would not be a failure. He would be as a majestic cedar planted on Mount Zion. Verse 23 says, Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches they will dwell. Instead of an eagle carrying it away, the eagles and every other sort of bird will dwell safely under the shadow of its branches. This is a prediction of a king who is above all kings. A king in whom those of every nation can find refuge. This is a prediction of the supreme Davidic king, Jesus Christ. Ezekiel proclaimed the wrath of God against Judah. He announced the coming captivity because of their sin. He predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and the suffering that accompanied it. But brothers and sisters, 
Ezekiel also proclaimed the one in whom salvation could be found, the ultimate deliverer, the only one to whom sinners can look for salvation. Egypt was not a savior. Pharaoh was not a deliverer. Israel had to look to the majestic, noble cedar, the great king, Jesus Christ. By his suffering, death, and resurrection, the Lord Jesus draws sinners to himself from the four corners of the earth. Birds of all kinds, people of all nations, find their refuge in him. It is this kingdom alone that will last. It is the fulfillment of God's promise to David of an eternal throne. 2 Samuel 7, nations rise and nations fall, but the kingdom of Christ will never be destroyed. Children, when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to bring forth a son, what did he say about that son? Luke 1, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the branch spoken of by the prophets, and this is the majestic cedar spoken of by Ezekiel. Jesus lived a perfect life, suffered the death of the cross, rose again on the third day, and after his ascension and coronation, the gospel went forth in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Gentiles were gathered into the Christian church so that birds of every sort, birds of every sort found refuge under the shade of the majestic cedar. Sinners of all kinds find their hope in Christ. Kings, princes, and servants, people of every social class find their shelter and security in Him. Still today, as the gospel goes forth, birds of every sort find safety under the shadow of his branches. You may find refuge in him. I may found, find refuge in him. Sinners of every sort may come to him and find hope. You see, congregation, in verses 22 through 24, Ezekiel had the privilege of announcing the gospel. He was able to predict the exaltation of the great son of David and the freedom that is found in him. In the days of Ezekiel, the nation of Judah was rebellious against God, rejected his law, broke his covenant, and persecuted the prophets. Yet in the midst of their rebellion, Ezekiel said, there is a way of deliverance and forgiveness. There's a way to be made right with God. How? Through the Messiah, the son of David, the majestic cedar. Brothers and sisters, it is to Christ, it is to Christ that you also must flee for refuge. 
You must seek shelter under the shadow of his branches. You must confess him as your king, captain, and savior, your only deliverer. Rebellious sinners can find peace with God through his only begotten son. And so I ask you, have you found refuge under the shade of his branches? Security in the son of David. Do you have the assurance that all your sins are forgiven in him? Or are there some here who have their heart, the heart and mind of Zedekiah? He looked to Egypt for deliverance. He trusted in the power of man. Are any of you like Zedekiah who disregarded the great salvation of the Lord? In the sight of God, you're a covenant breaker, rebellious, obstinate, and unfaithful. But when you acknowledge your sin and come under the shade of this majestic cedar, when you yield in humble submission before the great descendant of David, then, then in the sight of God, you are forgiven, accepted, and declared righteous. Birds of every sort dwell under the shade of that tree from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Those who have been liars, gossips, thieves, adulterers, drunkards, hypocrites, idolaters, covetous, revilers, those who are once covenant breakers, birds of every sort dwell under the shade of that tree. Dear people, whatever your past may look like, whatever you may have done, whatever folly you may have embraced, whatever gods you may have trusted, whatever arrogance you may have ex expressed, there is room under the branches of that majestic cedar for you. Yes, there is room for you. Confess your sin. Repent before the Lord. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the King whose kingdom will never end. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. There is refuge, peace, and joy as we dwell in the shadow of the majestic cedar, the Messiah, the greater David, the King of Kings. Won't you dwell in the shadow of his branches? Won't you find your rest in him? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for David's son and David's Lord. We thank you for the great king whose kingdom shall never end. When we read of the history of Israel and we read of all the political intrigue, 
nation rising, nations falling, but then, Lord, to read of the one whose kingdom will have no end, the majestic cedar under whose branches we find shade, refuge, peace, rest. We pray that each and every one here will put their trust in that majestic cedar. Lord, that we would not be as Zedekiah, putting our trust and our hope in man, in an arm of flesh that cannot deliver ultimately. May we be a people who are characterized by loving trust. Lord, and we pray that this great king would not be for any here on that final day a judge to be feared, but rather a righteous king under whom we will be eternally blessed. So we thank you, Lord, for the gospel according to Ezekiel, that in the midst of so much darkness and so much sin and so much rebellion, there is that wonderful gospel message. We look to our Lord Jesus, who gave his life, who suffered, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is now at the right hand, that position of honor, authority, and power. We pray that each one of us would yield to that king while we still have the opportunity. And then, Lord, to enjoy the eternal blessings of being under the son of David. Birds of every kind finding refuge in him. Thank you for the promise of salvation. May we embrace that promise. And may we live for you. In the name of the greater David, we pray. Amen.